This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you right here on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's an all-pet day here on Creature Comforts. We've opened the doors to our pet hospital wide open. We're welcoming all pet questions, from the big to the small. Do you have a cat or dog at home, or maybe both? We'll take questions about exotic pets like rabbits, snakes, and ferrets. So don't hesitate to join the conversation by phone or email. And if you've had a recent wildlife experience you'd like to share, we always like to hear that. You can call us at one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Email animals at mpbonline.org. If you ever miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, here's a reminder that it repeats every Saturday morning at six. So good morning, Libby. Have you made it back to Mississippi yet? Yes, I'm back and enjoying my birds again in the yard and uh, kind of getting everything back in shape after being gone for a month. Uh, what are you seeing out in your yard? Um, the hummingbirds are back. Uh, prothonotary warblers are here. Oh, and an exciting thing, uh, great crested flycatchers have been a, a bird that, that we've enjoyed here before. And uh, a few years ago, I guess maybe two or three years ago, we put up a, a nest box that a, a friend had made to the specifications for great crested and uh Yesterday, we noticed a pair of great crested flycatchers going in and out of the box. So we think either they've started a nest or we hope they're going to start one. I'll be watching them close today. It's a really neat bird. They have a, a, a loud, almost a raucous kind of a call. But um, anyway, we really enjoy watching them uh, catch insects, swooping around. They eat grasshoppers and crickets and bees and wasps, things like that. And they also like fruit. And this uh, nesting box is in a wild persimmon tree. So we're hoping that helped attract them. All right. It is an all-pet day today, so we're going to be looking for uh, your pet questions throughout the hour. Uh, Dr. Major, I saw something online that uh, about cats, and that always perk, uh, piques my attention because I'm a cat owner. And it was uh, someone had done some sort of um, experiment or whatever where they taped uh, square shapes on the floor, you know, with masking tape or something. And a lot of cats um, would go and sit inside the square as if it were a box. And so I was reading online about one article about this, and they said some cat experts think that maybe the cats almost envision that there is actually is a box there, uh, and so they like the security of a box, so they would go there. Um, others uh, suggested that... Uh, it's just cat curiosity that if you put anything on the floor, a cat's going to check it out. Uh, but one thing that says that I didn't realize is that um, cats have very poor close-up vision. Uh, and this article says from about 8 to 12 inches off their face, they're almost completely blind. I was not aware of that. Uh, but uh, any thoughts you have on, on this cat experiment? First of all, did they jump into the square like there was a box, or did they did they just walk in? I feel like the cats were probably taking ownership of that area since it had been marked off uh, to tell you that they think that's a box. I, I think that's a stretch. 
in my opinion. Uh, I'm not sure about the research on that or how many cats were involved with it, probably only just one or two. Uh, I've noticed that cats like, uh, for example, our cats, we have better uh, reception uh, on our Wi-Fi in certain areas of the house, and one of them is on the steps going up the stairs, and that cat will sit on that step, uh, and we think he's probably listening in uh, to the Wi-Fi. I don't see our cats running into things uh, up close. Uh, They're predators. Uh, They play with the toys. Uh, I have my doubts about the fact that they're not very good up close as far as seeing things. That's that's my opinion again. Well, you know, I would agree with you because it says they have good, you know, far off vision because they were hunters or whatever. But I I don't know. And again, this is the internet, so we 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 uh, we we know that. But to say virtually blind, eight to twelve inches. That's I mean. Because I agree with you, I've seen my cat react certainly to uh, to things up close, and um, and again, this you know was one of these uh, internet exper- experiments, so it's certainly not any kind of scientific thing. But I did think it was interesting, and I like your point about whether the cat sort of tried to jump in the square or just kind of wandered in there. Um, I will say though that uh, the cat I used to have, she was very fond of boxes and and especially small boxes. So I I do think that there's that case where. Cats do like kind of that confined space where they feel safe. I think it's like a hiding place in, in most cases. And uh, I have two grown cats, and they will play hide-and-seek, maybe get on a bookshelf or something like that, and one jump out at the other. You know, the other one would be looking for it. Uh, this morning they were having a good time. When I was eating breakfast, they were running and playing. Uh, as far as seeing, though, have you ever seen a cat, uh, you know, look at a bug on the floor? I mean, yep. even if it's not moving, they know it's there. So I, I have my doubts about that virtually blind deal, okay? All right. I, I would agree with you on that. I'm I'm virtually blind, but my cat probably sees a whole lot better than I do. <laughs> Let's, uh, we've got a okay. couple of phone calls on the line. Uh, why don't we start first with Kent in Mobile, who wants to talk about wild birds. Kent, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, the other day, uh, my wife and I were walking in our neighborhood, and we saw uh, some birds up about, oh, four or five or maybe more times as high as the big pine trees. So they were up, you know, a few hundred feet. Uh, they weren't seagulls, didn't like seagulls. They didn't look like um, uh, vultures or buzzards or things like that. But they looked more like raptors of some sort. Uh, they had narrow wings. They, they weren't hawks. We have hawks in our neighborhood. And they have wider wings. It didn't look like hawks. And uh, But there were several of them. There were probably 8, 10, 12 of them kind of soaring along up there. They very seldom uh, moved their wings. They were just soaring around up there. Uh, I wonder if they could be Mississippi kites. We're just kind of curious about what the possibility is. I've never known of, of raptors to fly that's, in groups, <laughs> so to speak. That's exactly what I was going to say, that it could possibly be Mississippi kites. Um, have you got a bird book or look online and kind of get an idea while you still have a mental image of that profile? Uh-huh. Check yeah, out, out Mississippi kites. Yeah, were they I'll over? Now, were they over water or were they over a field? Uh, they were just over the woods, just over our neighborhood. 
uh, with yeah, you know, there are a lot of yeah, trees and stuff the around. Trees. Yeah. Yeah. So they they were just over you know a residential area. There isn't any water, major water anywhere close. Well, then, yeah, that makes it more likely probably to be a kite. That's what I would do is look up that profile of a Mississippi kite and see if that looks good to you. Question, did they have any white on them? That high for very long. Well, they were, yeah, they were too high. We couldn't really tell uh, too much other than just a profile. We couldn't really get too many details of what they actually looked like. they, they were just too high, <laughs> but they were they were pretty cool to see them up there soaring around with a whole bunch of them. All right, yeah. uh, in that part of the bird book, they'll show the profiles of just what they look like, like a black and white image, a silhouette against the sky. So that should give you a pretty good idea. All right, Kent, uh, thanks for your phone call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio and all pet day. And I think, uh, Java, you had a question. Yeah, we always talk about what Libby is seeing outside of her window. But outside of my window, I've been seeing these really bright red cardinals. I can I, I only know that they're cardinals because they're super red. And I've seen like maybe four or five of them at one time. And I didn't know if this was the time of the cardinal or, you know, what. What's what's going on? Because I've never seen this uh, like a group of such bright red. The red is so pretty, um, you know, bright red cardinals. Right now in the springtime, those male cardinals they're at their at their most handsome because they're trying to attract the females. And uh, probably if you saw a group of four or five of the males, they might have been showing off a little to each other and. Uh, trying to establish who's going to be the boss of that area. <laughs> now, they're such a good feeder bird. If you want your kids to watch a, uh, some birds at a feeder, they would be a good – that putting your feeder where you saw those cardinals would probably be a good idea. And that really did spark my interest about putting up a feeder because I had never seen just like a, a big group. You know, I may have seen one somewhere and then another one another place. But I saw this big group of uh, bright red cardinals, and I was like, wow, this is, this is something. They're gorgeous. And, you know, we there's so there are a lot of cardinals, of course, in Mississippi, so we can take them for granted. When we were out west, that's one of the things when we would tell other birders where we were from, they would say, oh, we would love to go east and see those cardinals. <laughs> and so there and I, when we've been in uh, uh, Central America, also people will mention our cardinals because they're they're gorgeous. You know, you just can't find any prettier bird, and we're lucky to have them. And I, I, I have to throw in here that, you know, if you go to St. Louis, you'll get to see the Cardinals there as well. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I just have to – I can't resist when, I, when that comes up. It is time for our first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll continue looking for your pet questions. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We'll get to that. Also, if you've had a recent wildlife experience that you'd like to share, please call in. The number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and today we're taking your pet questions and talking about any wildlife encounters you've had recently. To join the conversation with a question or comment, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. We've got the phone lines lined up and blinking, so let's start again on the phones with our friend Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air. Good morning. I'd like to ask Dr. Major a question. Do, you, uh, do vets have a moral or legal or ethical obligation to tell a pet owner when it's time to let go and not, not keep trying to do tests and draw blood and do everything to keep a pet alive when it's obvious the pet is old and in pain and I have I have a family member who has a dog she's a very very old dog and uh, she just she just doesn't want, want it's her baby and she doesn't want to let go of him so she takes him to the vet clinic and they draw blood and everything but it's obvious the dog just, is just old it's time for him to go and I'm just wondering is it does it come a time where you can say to someone it's time to let go and just keep the pet comfortable and let him go but she's spending her limited resources on the dog, trying to keep him alive instead of on herself. Is what I'm afraid of. That's what she's doing. Right. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, it's it, it's something we encounter almost every day. Maybe not every day, but close. And I think counseling is the best thing that a uh, veterinarian can do. Give some options. But quality of life is maybe a term that's misused. But uh, if an animal is miserable, uh, there are several things that you can think of. Number one, can it get up and walk? Number two, is it eating? Uh, number three, does it have a condition such as cancer or uh, some other condition? And those are all things that uh, enter in in counseling and trying to make sure that, number one, the animal is cared for, but also the pet owner. All right. That's my best way to say it. In other words, to be able to talk to the pet owner and give those ideas that they they may have to make a choice. Okay. All right, Sue, thanks for the call. Yeah, Dr. Major, we've talked about that on the show before. That's that's a difficult decision for the vet and for the family, certainly, to decide uh, when the best time to you know, to uh, to uh, put the cat uh, or, or, you know, to say goodbye to the pet. So that's a, a difficult decision and, and one that your vet can offer some real uh, insight to uh, when you have to try to make that decision. Let's uh, continue on the phones. Let's go to Florence. Lawrence has called in today. Good morning, Lawrence. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. This is uh, Morris. And I was talking, I was talking, yeah, I was talking about cats. Uh, uh, their senses are a lot stronger at nighttime because they pray at night more than they do any time else. And all their senses get stronger during the day. During the daytime, their senses is not near as strong as they are at nighttime when they're out praying for food and stuff. All right. Lawrence, we're having a little trouble hearing you with the phone line. If you could give us a call back, but uh, you make a good point, and that is that uh, cats are really kind of set up for a nocturnal uh, that's, I think, when they do a lot of prowling and hunting. And so uh, hearing and uh, and vision and that sort of thing might be a little uh, keener uh, during the nighttime uh, than the daytime. And, and I'll also say this, uh, my cat spends most of the daytime asleep, so we, we don't know how he hears or sees then when he's taking a nap. Right. But, uh, Dr. Major, we do know they, they like to prowl around kind of late at night, early in the morning, certainly based on my, uh, you know, my situation at home with my cat. 
Absolutely. And, and of course, you know, the point is uh, the makeup of the eye, for one thing. Uh, they, you have the basic rods and cones. The raptors, for example, have a preponderance of uh, cones, which is for daytime sharp vision. You don't see a, a hawk flying around at night, whereas the owl has a different makeup in the eye, and so does the cat. Not completely. They have a mixed uh uh, what should I say, amount of retinal uh, cells and are able to, uh, I guess what you would say, prowl at night. They also have tactile hairs, uh, which uh, help in some instances for them to feel in close situations. All right, let's uh, continue on. Next, we'll go to Starkville. Glenda has called in today. Good morning, Glenda. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. I have a question about a mini schnauzer that about 12 weeks old. My friend got him when he was about five weeks old, which I know is way too early. But anyway, um, the dog bites, and not just gingerly. She He bites really hard and draws blood. And uh, we've tried everything that we can think of to keep him from doing it, giving him other things to chew on, and uh, uh, turning our back on him, ignoring him, and Anything that's been suggested, we've tried it, and nothing seems to work. Do you have a suggestion? It's very difficult. It's a question that we uh, are uh, have presented every once in a while. And some dogs do have the tendency to be biters regardless. And schnauzers are in that group uh, that do, and they can inflict a lot of pain. Uh, they usually have a very nice set of teeth. I would suggest some professional help if you could. Uh, there's got to be somebody in the Starkville area that you can talk to and or have the dog uh, evaluated and possibly have some training sessions. But it sounds like you all have tried quite a few things, and I think you need some professional help at this point. Check and see. Okay. You can call the vet school and see if they can recommend someone who uh, has a behavioral type interest and i think that would be where i would go with this puppy okay all okay. right i appreciate it so much thank you thanks glenda for your call this is creature comforts on mpb think radio and all pet day and it's busy on the phone lines but we've got an open phone line if you have a question or comment the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four you can send us an email as well to animals at mpbonline.org back to the phone lines we go off to helena arkansas this time kathy's called in good morning kathy hey how are you good what do you have for us well libby had mentioned when she was out west that she had never seen any gross beaks in her area and we have many gross beaks black white and red the red red breast and the females yes. are solid brown, and the, the I've even seen a blue one. I've seen, yes, I have the blue ones, and I have rose-breasted grosbeaks sometimes, but I had never had an evening grosbeak here in Mississippi, and that's uh, that one has a lot of yellow on it. It's yellow, black, and okay. white, and that's the one I was wanting to see in Mississippi, and now some people oh, do see them okay. in Mississippi. But they're much more rare. So keep your eye out for that third one. If you've got the blue ones and you've got the rose-breasted, keep your eye out for that evening gross beak is what it's called. And I may not have Yellow. made that very okay. clear. Yeah. But okay. thanks for okay. calling. That's I'm fine. glad you're seeing gross beaks. All right. 
No, we have we have several, many, many, like four or five this morning on the sunflower seed. Oh, great! I don't have any this morning. I wish I did. Thanks, They're Kathy. Beautiful. Appreciate Thank your. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling in. Now, I'm going to sound ignorant here, Libby, but, you know, a lot of times the name of bird after so gross beak makes me think that the bird has a large beak. Is is that correct, or am I barking up the wrong tree? It definitely does have a large beak. Yes. It, yes. <laughs> they have large beaks. You are right. And they tend to um, – it'll have a little dark, and the beak is kind of light-colored, so it looks really big. You notice that beak. You know why people call them a gross beak. All right. After – Number of years on the job, I'm finally learning something, so I'm proud of myself there. Uh, <laughs> let's move on next. Wilma has called in from Memphis. She's on the line with us. Go ahead, Wilma. Good morning. I have a friend in Brandon that called the other day to tell me there was a little green, I think it's a gecko, uh, outside on her security door when it was missing a leg. The weird thing was two chickadees and a wren were flying at it would get close to it and then fly off and another one would and the poor little gecko was just running up and down the wrought iron do you have any idea why the birds would be after it um not well some bigger birds will actually eat those little lizards and uh but I, I can't imagine that the lizard would be preying. Now, a larger lizard is a problem for a bird because it preys on bird eggs. It likes to eat bird eggs. And it's possible that they thought that that lizard was, might have been a problem for their eggs because the chickadees, what did you say? It was a chickadee that had gone after two, two chickadees and a little wren. Yeah, they've, they've all got little bitty eggs, and those lizards, I guess it's possible the little lizard could go in and, and chew on a small egg but they're very programmed to protect their nest and if they had nests close by they don't want anything getting close to that nest. she doesn't have any bird houses up so i don't think the chickadees could have had you know a nest close by they may have one in a tree somewhere but and maybe they were just practicing their go get them skills and it could have been little male chickadees i guess three legs and i wondered if maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a bird might have already done that. It, yeah. Birds and lizards are not generally friendly to each other, so. Okay. Well, I get maybe that was it. Okay. Well, yeah, thanks, it, Libby. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Wilma, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, move on next. Kay has called from Lion this morning. Go ahead, Kay. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I have a tick infestation. And I don't understand it. My dog is wearing, he, she has Advantage put on her, and she just had it on on the second. And she's wearing a Soresto collar, and she's still getting ticks, as in I sleep with her, so I'm getting ticks. What do I do? Well, that's a, that's a great question this time of I year. Do you have country. deer in the area? I live in the country, have- and there's... Yeah, I have deer. Could be the source. Uh, deer and cattle uh, a lot of times are a source of the, the ticks. Uh, I would say that you're doing about all you can do from the standpoint of uh, I wouldn't want to add another chemical uh, to what you're doing. The Soresto collar is effective, and so is the advantage or advantage. Uh, 
right. inspection. Is this a long-haired dog? What kind of dog yeah, is it? Yeah, well, she's a she's a flat coat retriever. Okay, so she has feathers retriever. and stuff. But I go over her all the time. Um, Can you limit her to a certain area? Nah, I really can't. Not, not really. And uh, I know that we have deer, and if you walk into the woods at all, uh, we'll pick up some some ticks. Usually, well, what you've got on her in the woods, what, what, it's grass, it's yeah. grass, and it's under an orchard. Right. Usually, uh, what you the Soresto uh, and the topical uh, tick preventive. Usually, they will kill the ticks, but she's probably getting them every day, and that's the issue. And if they're crawling on you, they may be, uh, you know, she may be bringing them in each time she comes in. So it is a difficult situation. I uh, I have used uh, different things on my dogs where I've had a real problem. Vectra may be something you want to try, uh, V-E-C-T-R-A, but I would not apply it with uh, the Advantix. And we've had good success with Brevecto which is a three-month uh, flea and tick uh, oral medication. So talk to your vet and uh, see what he's got available. But I'll bet this dog is getting them on her every day, and it does take, in most cases, a while for them uh, to to die. Okay. So good luck with that. I wish I had better, <laughs> better advice, but I think she's replenishing the supply every time she goes out. Right, right. Okay, okay I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for your call. Thank you. Right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kay. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Been a busy day on the phones, but we've got some open phone lines right now, and we're ready for your pet question. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. More Creature Comforts after this. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major Libby and Libby Hartfield. It is a pet day, so we're looking for your pet questions today. To join the conversation, and all of our phone lines are open, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So uh, this spring has been pretty rough in Mississippi in terms of severe weather. And Dr. Major, this is something we've talked about before, but always uh, helps to kind of remind folks of things. Uh, if pets are having a tough time uh, with the weather, maybe they get scared, anxious or whatever, uh, what are some things to keep in mind uh, to keep our pets 
uh, safe and, 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 and happy during uh, severe weather situations? Uh-oh. Your weather's Dr. Major? All right, we'll see if we can't fix that. Okay, we, oh, we there lost, we go. We lost it, lost it somehow, yeah. Anyway, uh, it is a constant problem. We have some dogs that are on medication because of that. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the things. The Thunder Shirt uh, was very popular for a while, uh, and a lot of dogs respond to that. It's kind of a swaddling uh, effect. They need a good place to go, and usually a kennel. If they're used to a kennel, uh, it's a good place for them to kind of hide. But it is a problem, and uh, some dogs are affected worse than others. Uh, there is no simple answer for every dog, and uh, some dogs do respond to medication uh, when they're uh, threatened with thunderstorm. Of course, one of the problems here is that we have thunderstorms, uh, especially right now. It seems like every three or four days. Yeah. If uh, if the dog's primarily an outside dog, again, is for safety concerns, maybe if, if you have a garage or some area where you can take them, because obviously, you know, in severe weather, you don't want to have your pet, you know, just outside exposed to the elements. Right, somewhere where they can be secure. And that is a problem, again, if you're gone during the day and the dog is in the outside in the yard or whatever, but uh, certainly a doghouse uh, garage would be excellent, somewhere that they could get for some protection. Uh, that's, that's a good point. And, uh, again, everybody's got differences or different areas, but do try to provide, just like when it's so hot, shelter. Uh, and when we started getting into the summer season, dogs have got to play, need to have a place to obviously get in the shade and have adequate water uh, at all times. That's not necessarily right now, but it is coming up, yes. This is Creature Comforts. It's an all-pet day. We're looking for your pet questions. Got some open phone lines, so give us a call if you have one. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So uh, I guess cats maybe could could get a little anxious in the weather, but I would imagine they probably have several spots in the house where they know they can go and hide and, and feel safe. So I think maybe uh, your cat, if, if, if it's severe weather, you might just not see him or her around maybe? Exactly, and the cats do that when they're disturbed about something else. Like uh, a lot of cats go hide when you have a company, when you have somebody come in that they don't know. Uh, they may go and hide, and they have their hiding places, whether it's under the bed, in the closet, or in a place that you may not know. Uh, I have looked for cat, uh, thinking maybe that it escaped, went outside, and then all of a sudden the cat comes strolling along, like, hey, I've been taking a nap. What are you doing? Uh, Livy, I, I have a couple of sightings I was going to tell you about. Uh, one was a pileated uh, woodpecker in my front yard uh, right before the storm. Uh, it was doing its drumming thing, which they do. It's a very large yes. woodpecker. And uh, confused sometimes with people think they've spotted, a, you know, one of the larger, the larger woodpecker, the ivory bill. But uh, it is a big woodpecker, and it has distinctive uh, drumming sound when it's drumming on a tree. Uh, the other thing that loud. I saw... Very loud, yeah. Right. The other thing I saw, which I'm really not sure as to uh, the genetics of it, but uh, it was a bobtail 
cat that looked very much like a bobcat, and it was strolling around with another cat, uh, a normal domestic cat, uh, black and white. And uh, it was larger than a regular cat and had a face pretty much uh, like a bobcat. But it was very, it wasn't tame. Now, it did, when it approached, it ran away. But uh, it looked like they were companions, and it was in a residential area. So it's a little bit strange. It's right off the Natchez Trace. So I'm not sure exactly. It may have been a hybrid, but it definitely was not a Manx, which is a bobtail cat as well. Yeah. That was interesting. Wow. And I got some pictures yeah, of it. I'll send you a picture. Did you get a picture of the cat, too? I did. I've got a picture of them kind of close to each other. Oh, yeah. I would like to see that. That sounds interesting. We have got a caller on the line, and it's uh, Pete who wants to offer a solution for our caller that was having the tick problem. Pete, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, this is kind of like a long-term uh, solution to it. Uh, my folks, when they retire, they they move out of the country, and one thing they did is kept the grass cut down, and they got them some guineas and chickens, and the birds kept the ticks uh, where they were there was no problem with the ticks at all. You still get a tick now and then, but there was not near to what you would thought. So I would say, get you some birds. That's excellent, excellent idea. And uh, I had not thought of that. I appreciate you calling. Uh, I have had people say that where you have guineas, especially that ticks, snakes, and other small things pretty well are eliminated. And guineas make an excellent watchbird. They'll let you know when somebody's coming in the yard or some other a- or an animal is coming into the yard. So that might be a solution in this rural area uh, where they have uh, plenty of deer. And it's also a problem sometimes where there's a lot of cattle. All right, uh, Pete, thanks for the call. That's a good suggestion. A guinea is a type of what, Dr. Major? <laughs> it looks like a, a helmet with legs and a little <laughs> head, but... Uh, that if you look it up, they're they're kind of gray, speckled gray, and they they're pretty amazing birds to watch. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think they probably were a native of Africa. I could be wrong about where they came from originally, but uh, a lot of rural uh, homesteads had guineas because of that very simple reason, uh, as uh, for small predators. And they, they wouldn't let a snake come into your yard either, so that's a good thing. Not necessarily that all snakes are bad, but they were very uh, judicious about their territory. So are guineas related to chickens, uh, Libby? Yes. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a Troy question. They're domesticated, <laughs> but there's, yeah, they're weird, aren't they? Because they're not a kind of chicken, I don't think. But they're they're related. Uh, they are a fowl, and I think that probably is part of their name is guinea fowl. Uh, and I believe uh, again that they somebody could correct me, but I believe they originally came from from Africa. Uh, and uh, they're they're unique birds. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Still looking for your pet questions this morning. Got some open phone lines. You can call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. You know, one of the things that we kind of talk about frequently but bears repeating, Dr. Major, is 
Um, you know, we can monitor our pets. We were around them all the time, so we kind of know maybe when they don't appear to be feeling well or that sort of thing. Um, what are some things to look out for versus maybe, you know, some sort of minor thing versus maybe something that's uh, maybe a sign of more serious illness and something uh, that we know we might need to take a trip to the vet? What's some things to look for that might indicate we need to check in with our vets? You know, that's, that's an excellent question, but keynote things that you would look for would be a dog that's normally active that becomes very lethargic, doesn't want to eat. Uh, two things that are common in a dog that's uh, sick usually, uh, not always, but would be vomiting, uh, diarrhea. Uh, the other things that if you noticed a unusual swelling or something like that uh, that could relate to cancer or some other condition, uh, certainly those would be wise to bring in. But lethargy in a dog that's normally active and happy uh, usually indicates some something going on. All right, let's uh, take another break. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. All pet day. Got some open phone lines. We were busy at first, but now we've got some lines. If you want to call in, the number's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap things up after this final break. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. To join the conversation on this pet day, call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-672. 7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. We were talking about a guinea fowl a few minutes ago, and that has piqued uh, Java's interest. So, Java, what do you got for us? Well, yeah, I had to look it up, and it's funny how you will see certain animals and birds, and you will just, I guess, mistake it for something else because it is, it does look kind of uh, chickeny or um, even maybe kind of peacocky with the with with the colors, but it did pop up in the Google search, the wonderful Google machine that it does take care of ticks on your on your farm. Um, like Libby said, they are domesticated, but it said, "Can you handle the noise?" So I had to I had to look it up real quick and li- listen to this. This is from the helmet helmeted uh, guinea fowl. So I guess if you can handle this on your property, uh, you will be tick free. But you you have to listen to these sweet sounds of the helmeted uh, guinea fowl. That sounds like uh, a tiny little buzzsaw or something, and that that I imagine was just one. So if you have more than one, you have to multiply that to see uh, see what that might sound like. Uh, and it's interesting that they're called. They do that. Go ahead. Excuse. They do that when they are alerting. In other words, they see something. They see a, a maybe a dog or something like that that's not supposed to be there, or 
uh, something else, or maybe a visitor is coming in. They're gonna they're gonna let you know. And it's interesting because you know that's the called the helmeted one, and you described it as sort of a helmet with legs. So that was an accurate uh, description of them for sure. <laughs> We've got a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Earl in Mobile. Go ahead, Earl. You're on the air with us. Yes, I got a two year old Bull Terrier mix, and every time someone knock on my door, she get very aggressive. Like she wants to just tear the dough down to get to him, but all the while she wagging her tail. So I'm trying to figure out a way I can discourage her from doing that. Well, so she just really, whoever's behind the door, she thinks it may be somebody, an intruder. What does she do when you have her out on a leash uh, around other people? Is she friendly and doesn't show any aggression? She's so aggressive. She acts like she wants to attack him when we go for a walk. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I hate to say this, but you need to go to someone who can help you train her. Uh, she does not, you know, even though she's on a leash, she doesn't need to act like she's aggressive toward people. And uh, I would suggest that there is somebody in your area that can help you. Uh, and you, you need to see if you can help this. She's two years old and it's kind of ingrained in her. And uh, I would say that uh, it would be, one, a liability not to have her trained, but also that uh, it would make her much more acceptable pet for you. Okay, then. Thanks, so, you. I wish I could tell you a trainer in that area, but definitely uh, I think that would be wise. Take care. Thanks, Earl, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. So, uh, Dr. Major, how can a, a dog owner especially sort of maybe differentiate between I've got a friendly dog that's very curious and that sort of thing versus that step across there to the dog is aggressive towards maybe other dogs or people? Exactly kind of like we talked about. If she's aggressive on a leash, and you need to start at an early age, okay? I'm talking about uh, eight weeks and up, uh, socializing with people, uh, with other dogs, and that takes a big step towards uh, being a, a dog that can be a good companion but also treats other dogs and is friendly toward people. Now, some people want a dog that is aggressive, and uh, that can be an issue uh, just from the standpoint of, what shall I say, liability, if nothing else. So you've got to be careful with that. And uh, I do believe that uh, even though this dog is two years old, that with the proper training and someone that can help uh, give some guidance, I think that would be a good good thing to do. Yeah, that, you've mentioned training a couple of times, and I think that's a good point to make. I know that my brother and uh, my sister-in-law adopted a dog uh, that, that was a little bit you know rough around the edges, as it were, and they went to an obedient school or whatever, and he graduated. I remember they even had a little mortarboard for him and all that sort of thing. But they've been real happy with uh, with the dog's behavior since then. So, you know, if, if for folks out there, if you think you're at your wit's end, uh, that might be the time to bring in some professional help and, and help get that dog trained. Because I think in the long run, uh, Dr. Major, both owner and dog will be happier w- with that situation. Oh, I think so, definitely. Good idea. All right. Uh, Annie is on the line from Calhoun County, and she's our next caller. Good morning, Annie. Go on. Uh, go ahead. Yes, I have a small dog, and he does a lot of barking, unnecessary barking. Like when someone come up and he knows him, and he still barks. 
does he do a lot of barking uh, at any sound or anything when he's inside? Uh, yes, that yes, sort of thing. Yes, he does. Yeah, so he's, so he's on he's on he's on high alert all the time. Mm-hmm. There are some things that uh, can be done, uh, and I don't know if you have time to go through some of the training things, but there is a collar. I don't necessarily like the uh, shock collars that will help with barking, but there are some of those available. There's right. also one that uh, has has a scent uh, that missed out from the collar when they start barking, and that can help. Why don't you go online and look up the different types of uh collars that are available for barking dogs. That would yeah. be my best uh, information for you. How old is this dog? Three. Yeah. So he's he's pretty well used to doing what he wants to as far as the barking. In some mm-hmm. respects, pe- people like a dog that will bark and let them know that somebody's there. But he doesn't need to continue doing that uh, uh, constantly. And that can be certainly a headache to you. And if you live close to somebody else, it, it can it upset them as well. Right. So look and see what you can find. I uh, need to do it humanely, but I would say that there are some things available online that you can look at and make a decision that, hey, maybe this will work for my dog. All right, okay? then. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your call. Thanks, Annie. Uh, so, Dr. Major, do, do different breeds of dog have propensity to be more barkers than others? <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. Uh, some of the best little watchdogs are the small dogs, like Yorkshire Terrier and Chihuahuas. Usually they, they get quiet, though, after they've initially made their bark. Uh, sometimes they do it overhand. And if you're listening, you can hear dogs barking in the background here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have quite a few different dogs. But most of the dogs that, that bark, they bark uh, because they don't know what's going on. Uh, they want to let you know, and they want to know as well. But I think that uh, good training, good socialization is very important, and I mentioned socialization. But if you have a puppy uh, eight, ten weeks old and you're not getting it around other people and other dogs, they can develop some issues that, that may carry on the rest of their life. You know, I remember um, my cat was rescued from the bushes out in front here of the building where we work. And, um, you know, for the f- first couple of weeks I had him, he he was he would jump out. He would, you know, claw and bite and that sort of thing. And I think that's part of the reason was that maybe he was pulled away from, you know, his litter mates at too early of an age. And he didn't have a chance to socialize. And since I've had him, he's gotten a lot better. But I do remember when I first got him, you know, that he was kind of a, a, a wild cat almost. Right, he was. I'm sure he was defensive at that time, but it is one of the problems where somebody nurses and raises a kitten solo, without any uh, other kittens, and they don't. Uh, if you watch kittens, they're going to rough, rough and tumble, fight, bite each other, scratch each other, but they learn if they bite, somebody else is going to bite back, <laughs> and that carries over. The cats that are raised, especially on a bottle. And never around other cats. A lot of those cats develop to be biters, and they will bite people uh, or scratch them. All right, Dr. Major, about a minute left. What's a tip uh, that folks can keep in mind as their pets grow older? Uh, Maybe something to to watch out for. You know, two things come to mind quickly. One is dental disease. Be sure to have the teeth checked, this sort of thing. 
Uh, certainly there's some maintenance that can be done. Uh, the other thing is, is arthritis. Uh, just as in people uh, have joint problems, joint issues, you have a dog that weighs 80 or 90 pounds and develops where they have very difficult getting up, uh, standing up, this can be an issue. So it quickly, the two things that came to mind just then were dental issues uh, and uh, arthritis or joint problems. All right. Uh, about to wrap things up, just a reminder about our email address. It's animals at mpbonline.org. If you're out and about and you see something that interests you, if you can, try to snap a picture of it with your smartphone and then send it to us because we can help you try to figure out what it is if you don't know. But also, we like looking at those kind of pictures too. So anytime you can take a picture, go ahead and send it to us. We'd appreciate it, and we'll see if we can help you figure out what it is. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts right here on MPB Think Radio. This is MBB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.